0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest on the podcast is Mikey Schaefer. Mikey is an all round climber whose accomplishments span all the disciplines in climbing, from putting up first ascents on all seven of the skyline peaks in Patagonia, to putting up 513-plus big walls, to sport climbing 14A, to bouldering V10, and on and on. Mikey does it all at a pretty darn high level. We talked about the first big route that Mikey put up when he was 20 years old and some of the lessons he learned from getting in over his head. We talked about Liberty Bell up in Washington Pass and how that formation has played a role in the arc of Mikey's climbing career. The 13 plus Mikey and SJ put up on Liberty Bell is called Dark Side of Liberty. And you can hear a lot more about that route and the first ascent in my conversation with SJ in episode 11, if you're interested in that. Mikey and I talked about him being a jack of all trades and how he thinks about progressing in climbing, making goals, and how he balances all the disciplines. And we talked about his recent experiences with training and with bouldering and how adding those bricks to his pyramid has improved his climbing. Mikey is also a professional photographer and filmmaker who has worked on many major productions in the outdoor space, including Free Solo. We could have easily had an entire podcast episode about his work and his photography. But when I reached out to Mikey, he was more excited to talk about rock climbing. So we didn't really talk about his work. If you guys are interested in hearing more about that side of things, there's a great interview with Mikey on the Runout podcast where he talks about his experience working on the free solo film. And I will link to that in the show notes. I will also link to a short film called The Force, which features Mikey and several of his first ascents in Patagonia. It's about 20 minutes long, and I would highly recommend that as well. This is part one of my conversation with Mikey. We ended up talking for nearly three hours, so I decided to split it up into two parts. Curious to hear what you guys think about that, I'd love some feedback. The second part will be available next week, and it's a pretty geeky conversation about some of the tricks Mikey has learned with big wall and multi-pitch climbing. I found it fascinating, and I think the tradsters out there or anyone who has an affinity for big wall climbing will get a lot out of it. It's crazy what this guy does. It's nuts. So tune in next week for that, and that's it. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Mikey Schaefer.: Hi, Mikey.
1: Hey there. How's it going, Steve
0: <laughs> Good. How are you doing, man?:
1: Oh, I'm hanging in there.
0: Yeah, totally. So, in my prep for this, Mikey, this one thing popped up a few times and I just had to ask about it. So, SJ mentioned it. You and I got to hang out a little bit in early March and it came up again. And then I was just reading an article and it came up a third time. Tell me about the egg sedia.
1: Oh, yes, the egg sedia. Yeah, of all the things to be semi famous for. Yeah, some, <laughs> some cooking.
0: Sounds legendary.
1: It, you know what? It actually is. I've probably had. I mean, I've easily eaten a couple thousand of them. I don't know. I mean, I've probably been eating the egg sadiya for breakfast since two thousand and two, I guess. So every day. Uh, not every day, but but I, I did some. I was on a Greek yogurt kick for a while. Okay. But um, no, so yeah, the egg sedia is like a. It is a little bit of a pass down. I was working in Yosemite as a climbing guide, and one of the other guides showed it to me. And it's just you crack a couple eggs into a frying pan and immediately slap a tortilla right on top.
0: Like on the, goopy, the, egg, on the goopy egg totally, on the top? Yeah,
1: You usually I, I crack the yolks um, okay. with the shell real quick and then just go like literally right on top. Eggs should not be cooked at all. And the eggs just fully bind right to the tortilla okay. and just like medium heat give it a second and the egg will start to separate from the frying pan pick up the tortilla flip it over I add cheese and avocado salt and pepper throw another tortilla on top of there brown both sides and good to go
0: oh my gosh
1: and uh, so there's no mess and so you know when you're like living in a van or also just trying to like eat while you're driving things like that it's it's absolutely perfect <laughs> so
0: I have um, to try this
1: yeah I know it's it's great what's the bait uh, on the tortillas modified. do you have
0: do you have a favorite
1: I'm I'm a pretty standard flour guy. Now okay. there's these like, you know, you get the like bake yourself or fry yourself sort of tortillas. We mm. use those a lot, but I, I'm honestly not that picky when it comes to my tortillas. So. Okay. yeah, but uh, no, I think it was even in like ESPN's like they had some foods column thing. Uh-huh. It, I mean it made that. Like it's like literally been around. It's, From it's you. kind of incredible. Well, I mean, I did not invent it, but right. I, I do think I, I I popularized it and passed it around to a lot of people. Got I mean, it. I couldn't tell you how many people I know that are like, oh, yeah, I eat those things all the time.
0: <laughs> so it makes it onto ESPN through your enthusiasm for it.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. No, yeah. it's it's totally been picked up a couple of times <laughs> on places like that. And you're just like... <laughs> Really? So, but it is handy. I mean, I, I maybe we'll, we'll do like a video um, sidebar to this that we in the show notes and we can uh, do a little demo or something.
0: Oh my gosh, I'd love to do that. That'd be perfect. Yeah. So you, you'd mentioned in, you know, I think it was in the article that I'd read that you got it secondhand from someone, you didn't invent it, but you thought you were the one that perfected it. Can you give me like a couple of iterations, like a couple of the improvements that, is it toppings? Like what did you kind of No, tweak? I
1: don't. I don't know if it's like, it's more just like the, the the messiness of it all and just kind of the, yeah, I don't know if my improvements were necessarily like, I perfected it for my liking. How about that? I'm not <laughs> okay. sure I, I want to claim that I made the perfect one because now I hear people, actually Max Tepfer just <laughs> passed down some beta to me. He's okay. like, oh, okay, when you go to do the, you brown the second side, he's like, throw some cheese on the frying pan and Ooh. then fry the cheese on the outside of the tortilla real quickly and so you get like this crispy cheese oh effect gosh. on the outside of the tortilla
2: uh-huh.
1: yeah and so that was like recent beta to me so <laughs> i have a friend that swears you, you got to do it with mushrooms all the time so it's you crack the eggs and then put up some diced mushrooms in there so everybody you know kind of takes it a little bit and, and changes it up so i
0: love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Mikey, in reviewing your resume, I was overwhelmed. I've spent the last kind of day like reminding myself what you've done, and there's so many different directions we could go with this. I couldn't even decide what to do. So I texted you and I was like, hey, just tell me like what you'd be most interested to talk about. And I really, I was really appreciative of your responses and I'm really excited to dig into some stuff. I thought we could start with dancing dihedrals.
1: Oh, yeah. The route is actually called Little Big Man.
0: Little Big Man. Oh, okay.
1: Little big man. And it was a, a route up on the south face of Mount Bradley up in the Ruth Gorge. and
0: Is it in the Alaska Range?
1: Alaska Range, yes. And it was it was like the first major first ascent I ever did with my earliest kind of uh, influential climbing partner, Blair Williams. And we went up there. That was 99, I believe. So I was just out of high school. <laughs> um, and... We were so green at that point. I mean, I had never done, like, a proper expedition. We were pretty much Yosemite climbers. We were just such a junk show. I remember, like, getting, like, you know, you fly up onto the glacier there and get dropped off, and we were, like overweight getting on the plane i remember us like putting all of our pitons and all of our hardware in our jackets so it wasn't weighed <laughs> you know and i didn't really realize it's like this is actually kind of sketchy we're like overweighting this you know this small airplane you know but it was just like oh we need we need all these pitons and so they were like in our jackets as we're getting on and oh you're like uh, ha- okay yeah.
0: you're like hacking the plane capacity totally absolutely stashing a bunch 100%. of metal in your jackets oh that's yep. hilarious
1: yeah, well, it'd kind of be like going through standard domestic check in, right? Uh-huh. Like, I don't, I, my bags are almost overweight, and you start taking stuff off yeah. and like putting it in your pockets. And it's <laughs> like, well, all the weight is actually going on the plane still, but they just don't have an accurate weight anymore. But yes, yeah, so we, you know, we get like dropped off in the glacier. And I mean, that's the first time I've ever been on a proper glacier. And I, I remember the, the plane took off and it, it sort of starts flying at uh, the south face of Mount Dickey. And it just keeps flying towards the mountain and flying towards the mountain. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. What's he doing? Like, he's got to turn. You know, he's going to like literally run into the mountain and he just keeps flying. He keeps flying. And then he like gets so far away and so small that the plane just disappears. Hmm. And then I realized, I was just like, oh my God, that is a huge mountain. You know, like I had no idea the scale. Like i would never seen mountains like that. I mean, the South Face of Dickey, it's like the Southeast Face... I mean it makes El Cap look like kinda no big deal. I mean it's like a five thousand foot face. Wow. The thing is absolutely ginormous, you know? And so I mean, you've never been to mountains like that. It's really hard to put it into perspective, you know, there's no trees, nothing like that to just like give you an idea. Mm. And I think it really dawned on the, the boat you know, the two of us who we were just like, Oh man, we are like actually in the mountains now. And um <laughs> So it was like the first time I ever put skis on to ski across the glacier. Blair was, I think he's like eight years older than me. Um, And so at the time I was 19 or 20. I guess it was right before my 20th birthday. And, you know, he was experienced. But, I mean, the reality is we didn't really know that much about like being in the big mountains like that. And, yeah, I mean, looking back, I still, it's just like it was a pretty like audacious thing to just go out and do at that age with, you know, the amount of experience I had. And just, I mean, honestly, the lack of knowledge. Uh I mean, if somebody was to do that now, I would probably be like, oh, you're not really prepared. I, I, you know, I'm not sure I would recommend you going to do that. You should probably be more skilled. You should just have more sort of, you know, tricks in your pocket. Right. But we just didn't. And, you know, I think that's kind of how we approached things back then, and I'm a lot more cautious now. And, and maybe part of that was just there wasn't as much information out there. It was a lot harder to gain sort of info and education. And I mean, we just had like such a wild time up there. We ended up spending 12 days, <laughs> actually, like 12 nights on the route. Oh, and man. then we had we had already fixed a few pitches to get up there. So I mean, I, I think it was. It's still probably the longest I've ever spent like on a wall route. I've, I've had a few other 10 day. 10 day trips, you know, actually on, on the wall. But, uh, yeah, I think to this day it was still the, the biggest one. And, <laughs> and we just had like so many epics up there. It was kind of amazing. Like looking back, I mean, at one point we, we got the haul bag stuck. We were lowering the haul bags out across this, like we did a 70 meter horizontal traverse, oh, like almost wow. dead horizontal. And in the middle of the lower out uh, between us, the haul bag had gotten stuck on a flake so you can imagine, like, instead of lowering out, like, a big pendulum to the far anchor, it got stuck sort of in the middle on a, on an edge, right? So now all of a sudden the rope is running, you know, from my anchor, I just led the pitch, like, 35 meters o- onto a flake and then straight down. Oh, so geez. If the rope So if the rope had popped off, you know, we were about to drop haul bags, like, they were probably 150 pounds, onto the anchor. <laughs> and then these are, like, natural anchors, right? And I, I just remember... Blair's like jugging over and I'm like, Hey man, like, are you going to lower out the haul bags? He's like, no, I already lowered them out. I'm like, well, I don't understand. They're like, they're not below me, you know, like what's going on. So he's like, okay, well, like he like jugs over and he's just like, oh shit. Like they're literally like just the ropes behind a flake. There's like no gear for him to pull it off and like lower it out. (laughs) And yeah, so it was like a natural natural belay and i was just like oh my god we could get ripped off the mountain so i was like okay hold on and i end up like building a 12 piece anchor <laughs> like i literally just like put in i just ate it up i just started climbing the next pitch uh-huh. and it just put in as much gear as i could and then i took our tagline and i made one gigantic master point and then like transferred the load onto this new anchor and then at one point he literally he just grabs the rope picks it up and then, like, pulls it off the flake, and the haul bags just like tumble oh like a hundred feet and like shock load the anchor, you know? And I had like separated myself from that anchor. I'd built my own anchor. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be completely separate. So if it fails, we're just going to lose the haul bags. Yeah. And it's not going rip, to rip me off the mountain.
0: In half your rack.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was like that's one example, but like, I felt like the whole thing was like, Was sort of like that, you know, we were just like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we were pretty experienced aid climbers at that time. I would probably climbed Del Cap, I don't know, 10 times already or something like that. And so, you know, we definitely had some routes underneath our belt, but, but still, yeah, a lot of learning happened on that trip. And when we finished wrapping, we got to the ground and it was like, we had, I don't know, a few carabiners left and like a few stoppers.
0: Oh my gosh. Everything
1: was gone. Oh my gosh. Just, we left The last, we we fixed a 70 meter rope, like tied it to an anchor, wrapped on it, tied a knot in the end of it, passed our other rope through it. And then double rope wrapped off the end of that rope. Cause we were just out of gear and we just walked away. We just like left the rope and we were just like, yep, we're out. We're done. (laughs) No more gear. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. So the flight home, yeah, the, the flight was a lot lighter. We didn't have to like sneak any gear in our pockets.
0: So for listeners, the route ended up being, what, 510A3, about 20 pitches?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, 20 pitches with a 70-meter rope. I mean, that face okay. is...
0: 1,000 feet. I mean,
1: oh, no, it's like the size of El Cap.
0: Oh, it's... okay. Okay. You know what? That was just the dihedral system. That's that just the
1: dihedral. Yeah, it. it's like a, it's a pretty similar dihedral to like the upper reaches of like l Cap on like the mirror wall or, okay. or the nose or something like that. Just this huge, huge, incredible, yeah, dihedral in line. Yeah, super, super great line. Definitely one I'm still, still quite, quite proud of looking back, and especially given the experience you know that we had at the time. It's just like so that one had some some impact for sure. <laughs>
0: so. So the yeah. dancing dihedrals part was this—that was just that one thousand foot section.
1: Yep, yeah, one gigantic sort of dihedral where I mean there was—I remember one pitch where it was seventy meters and pretty much every single piece was like a one, two, or three lost arrow. Huh. So I mean it was like you you'd lead up like forty feet, you know, fifty feet, and we were like, okay, I'm out of pins, and then you'd lower down, and then you'd like back clean most of the pitch, pull them all out. Jug back up and then keep leading again. Wow. I mean, we had a lot of pins. We probably had 60, 60 pins or something with us, and you know, but only a few of them were really fitting in the pitch. And uh, so, yeah, an amazing pitch. I mean, really similar, like I said, to, uh, to something like on the mirror wall on L cap. Just a perfect, huge dihedral.
0: So yeah, I had a, I read a quote from one of you guys, I'm not sure which of you, but the quote is that the dancing dihedrals are the most amazing dihedrals we have ever had the privilege of climbing. The rock on this route is superb. The climbing was reminiscent of that found on the classic El Cap routes. And that's cool. It sounds like it still stacks up, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the whole A3 thing is like a total joke, right? Like back then, like <laughs> huh? that was like when kind of aid ratings were changing. And I mean, even to this day, they're still so like they don't really mean that much. They're so mental, right? Mm. So you never really know. But I mean, A3 to us back then meant like you might hook like five moves in a row and place like a copperhead and then a beak and then hook a few more times.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, so like an A3 could be like, oh yeah, you're looking at like 60, 70 foot falls. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it was kind of like people were using this like new wave eight climbing ratings, um, it was like more modern. And so a lot of the like newish, new ish routes on El Cap were kind of using these new grades where, and I, I mean, something like a three plus could mean you could take a gigantic fall, like a huge fall. But if you, if there was low risk of hurting yourself, it wasn't really a four. Mm. So it's like, you could fall 60 to 80 feet and be like, ah, oh, that's not a four.
0: As long as you know, yeah, and you're like, if there wasn't a ledge, like,
2: okay.
1: Yeah like but you know taking a fall that big or you know hooking that many times in a row you know that many body weight pieces in a row you're like oh, yeah <laughs> it was still yeah plenty scary so i mean By no means is, like, you know, the 510A3, like, moderate. You know, how about that? I'm sure if I went up there, like, this summer to climb it, I would be so scared. So (laughs) I would be absolutely gripped. Um, I I sort of avoided climbing at all costs these days. I I still am having to do it while doing first ascents, and I'm always up there kind of gripped.
2: I'm always (laughs) like, oh,
1: man, I don't believe I... I don't believe I did this for like so many years when I was a kid. It was just like crazy. I was like, I, it's all I did, you know, through my sort of late teens, uh-huh. early 20s was like a big wall aid climber, you know, I, I just like lived on El Cap.
0: So. That's so interesting. So you're, what, are you getting soft? Too much sport climbing and bouldering?
1: Mm. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, I mean, I mean, I'm getting old, you know, it's just like, well, it's weird. It's actually like, yeah, my risk profile, it, it's something I just sort of had to write a article on. And yeah, I mean, risk is a funny thing, you know, it, it obviously, it, it sort of changes with time. I, I probably take higher risks in a way these days than I used to, but my quantity of risk is probably lower. Hmm. So, I'm more willing to do something that most people would probably deem sketchy, but I am uh, I will not do it nearly as often as I used to. Mm, okay. For sure. No, I, that part's really is, is changing in me. I mean, I, I sort of look at it like, I mean, you, you get a certain amount of rolls of the dice in your life. Like, that's it. I mean, I think it all adds up. I mean, eventually, if you just sit there, you know, and play the game, like, something's going to happen and it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. Like it just doesn't matter. Like, so for me, it's, I've come to this like conclusion. I'm like, well, I don't need to risk as much as often as I used to. But when I do, I want to make it a little bit more meaningful. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just like the impact of kind of being in like elevated risky situations has like, less benefit to me these days than it used to. Like it used to be more beneficial. I feel like I had more, there was more reward back then because it was all new to me. Okay. So I was more willing to take that, take certain risks. Well, now it's like, I've kind of like learned from those situations and I've been through so many experiences that now it's like, well, I've already had that experience. Why would I take that risk? Like the value of my reward has gone down. Hmm. So now it's like to get, the reward, I actually have to risk more, but then to offset that, I just do it less often.
0: And how does that look now? Is that just like when you find the first ascent, when you find the line that is worth it, that inspires you and feels worth it, or how yeah, do those, how I, do those moments come I, about? Now? I
1: mean, it's not even just first ascents. If it's, it's alpine climbing, just adventure climbing okay. in general, like I'm, my desire is just lower. Like I don't plan as many trips. I don't have as much interest in just like, yeah just going out and like doing really hard climbs you know in the mountains and and just going on trips anymore like as often like Mm -hmm. I still want to do these trips but just not not as often is really the thing and so yeah I mean I find something I'm like okay I think I'm really psyched on this and then I'll I'll I'll, like I'll do it you know but it's as harder for me to get psyched on stuff that's just kind of like yeah okay I've kind of been there done that in a way you know and Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I look at like my style of first ascents and like how I'm putting up rock climbs these days. And yeah, it is interesting. Like now if I'm like, oh, this is kind of run out. I'm like, ah, I guess I should just put a bolt in or, you know, (laughs)
2: like
1: before it would be like, nah, there's a stance up a little bit higher. I, I can keep climbing to there. And, and now I'm like, eh, you know what? I bet everybody else is going to appreciate a bowl tour. Or when I forget how to do this move and I come back and try to repeat my own route, I don't want to be scared. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I kind of look at other people's perspective a little bit more.
0: Um, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, that's really interesting. It yeah, seems like you've I, shifted more towards like how do I make this route as enjoyable as possible for, for other people, especially if it's really good, if it's really good rock, et cetera
1: yeah and you know that's always a balance it's like when I start out to do a first ascent, it's like, okay, like, whose experience am I doing this for? right? So, like there's plenty of first ascents that I've done where it's just like, well, this is just for me, you know, like I'm up here to like have an enlightening, very personal experience with you know with my partners, and that's all in my head, the only ascent that matters is the one we are doing right now. And then with some of these like you know other rock climbs. It's like, no, wait a second, like, I'm not the only person that's going to climb this. So I have to sort of think about how are the other climbers, what's their experience going to be like on this route? And, and as, you know, more and more areas start to sort of become climbed out, you know, there's not a lot of canvas left up there, right? So if I go up there and put up a route and, you know, it's super run out or there's just something kind of janky about it, you know, it's just like, oh, the bolt's in the wrong spot or, oh, there should be a bolt here. And then people don't repeat it because I did a poor job putting the route up. I mean, it kind of sucks. I took that away from, like, the community. It's like mm. I don't I don't own the, the rock or the formation, right, even though I did the first ascent. You know, so I just feel like there's a bit more of an obligation to do it right. If you're going to do it these days, make a route that can actually be enjoyed by future generation and other parties. And in the past, I, I don't know, I, I don't think I cared as much. And... Maybe I didn't realize how sort of finite of a resource we have in climbing. You know, there's only a, a, there's a limited amount of routes. We're not just gonna keep finding features to climb. Like they don't, you know, obviously features fall off and then there's new features to climb, but <laughs> that's, that's pretty rare, uh-huh. right? So yeah, I mean, that, that has definitely been a, a shift in my perspective and I'm way more about like, being like, okay, I wanna make this a really good route for people to repeat. Hmm. And that, that is a yeah, very big difference. I mean, I just look at like a uh, route I put up in probably 2004, 2005 up in Tuolumne Meadows on Fairview Dome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's only been repeated once or maybe twice in that time period. And there is no way I could go do it right now. Huh. Like th- it was, there. there's no way I could repeat my own route Wow. because it's way too scary. I mean, it's out of my ability right now. Like, I mean, it's only, the route's only 11 plus, but there's a, there's a 10 D pitch that's 220 feet long and it's got five bolts on it.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And one of the 10 plus cruxes is like 30 feet above a bolt on a low angle. I mean, this isn't like an overhanging wall, you know, you're right. not just like falling into space. This is like, it's kind of insecure, slabby knob climbing. There's no way I would do that now. Like I could <laughs> not repeat my own route. And so... I mean, that, I don't regret that experience and I don't regret putting that route up in that way, but also moving forward, I know that like, I probably wouldn't do that again because ultimately like nobody's going to climb that route, Mm. you know, like it's like, great. I had my experience, but nobody else really gets to, you know, enjoy it. And like, yeah, probably the odd climber is going to come along every 10 years and get psyched on these obscure sort of run out, you know, routes, but and maybe that's good maybe there's still a place for that you know we don't want to sanitize all of it we don't need to make not every route needs to be climbable by every person mm, right because mm-hmm. it, it sort of takes away that like that benchmark you know that skill um yeah and maybe it's just like I don't have that as much of that skill anymore I'm just not as willing to go out there and push it for my own experience as much as i as I used to
0: well I'm curious w- with that comment that you just made and also with you know going back to mount bradley being 20 years old and saying like man we were what we were doing was sketchy i wouldn't recommend anyone doing it with our with the amount of experience that we had i'm curious how formative were those kinds of adventures and getting outside your comfort zone and making all the mistakes and kind of junk showing like how how important do you think that was for your own progression
1: i mean yeah that's sort of the hypocrisy in it right like it was super important like you know like i feel like i I learned so much through all those early experiences. And it really gave me pretty good perspective of what I didn't know. I hmm. think my decision-making skills, I was forced into learning a lot at a young age and through a lot of serious experiences. And I think that did set the stage for the rest of my sort of climbing. I kind of realized I was like, yeah, wow. I don't actually know that much, <laughs> you know? And maybe the problem then lies in when like people go out there and, do similar things, but they don't realize like what they should be learning from that experience. They don't, mm, okay. they don't come back and realize like, Oh wow. Okay. I need to work on this. I need to get better at this. I didn't know that, you know, and that's always hard. Like you don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, that's, that's something we all, just humans always struggle with. Right. And I mean, that's the, I know there's this classic graph out there of showing sort of like, you know, what you think, you know, as a beginner, what you think, you know, as a Average climber and advanced climber. And then what you think, you know, is an expert, you know, and essentially as an expert, you start to realize you're like, these are all the things that I don't know. And you become so much more aware of the parts that you don't know. And, and I think I did a good job early on realizing that I was out of my own ability, hmm. you know, level, like I was, I was in over my head. And that's a hard thing. We kind of celebrate that in climbing sometimes, right? We celebrate like that sort of enthusiasm to go out there and just go for it, you know? And I mean, okay, there's probably a, a good balance that with like, you know, some rational thinking and being like, ooh, that's probably not actually safe, you know, but but we do seem to celebrate like people really going for it and, and pushing pushing the limit. It's just like when you do that, I guess realizing that, You you got to figure out like what it is to like take away and learn from that experience. Hmm. If you don't, it's, it's sort of a waste. You know, if you just sit there and continue to like make the same mistakes over and over and over, it's just like, (laughs) you're not doing it right. You know, you you missed the, you missed the point.
2: Uh
1: uh, Yeah. I actually, I mean, after my, my first couple of early expeditions, definitely the one to Alaska and then we went to Patagonia in 2000. So I think it was like the winter after I went to Alaska and I think that's when I really actually noticed how little I know. Hmm. And I, uh, I called it quits early on that trip. Okay. I felt uncomfortable. I just kind of realized, I was like, man, like, I, I shouldn't be here. I don't know enough. I, I don't have the skills to get myself out of, a, out of an epic right now. Like, I don't know what I would do if X happened or Y happened. Hmm. I don't know, you know? And so it totally dawned on me there. It's just like, I'm not good enough. I'm just not good enough. Hmm and i didn't go into the mountains for a long time i, I well i didn't go into the mountains on climbs that are as serious i guess and i like i went to closer ranges i didn't spend you know go off to these you know remote ranges i mean back in 2000 like patagonia in chelten felt like really remote like it's so different these days now it's like front country but back then it felt like properly remote and Yeah. I mean, I came back and I was like, okay, I got to learn more. And that's actually, I, I ended up like really like living in Yosemite after that and becoming a climbing guide and just getting so much more mileage and make my belt
2: Hmm.
1: and actually learning, you know, learning proper self-rescue, learning rope tricks. Just like, yeah, I started adding to the experience pool like massively, you you know what I mean? I just spent... 250 days a year with my harness on for, you know, or more, you know, I mean, I was just climbing. I mean, I remember like years, I was like, I had my harness on 29 days straight or something in August, <laughs> you know, like,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, I mean, and now that, I mean, that helps. I learned a lot, you know? And so now when I go back into the mountains, it's like, okay, I know how to do this. I know what to do now. And yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Like you want people to go out there and do things and, and really push themselves, but you just, you hope that they understand why, hmm. and they, they're t- they're taking away the the important parts of it, and not just the the successes they had. And you know, always you know, analyzing it's like, well, what could have gone wrong there? What what can I learn from this? And you know, so if people do that, I think it's it's good to be out there pushing, you know, pushing your limits.
0: One question that just popped into my head, and this goes back to that story you just told about the route that you wouldn't be able to go back and repeat. Now, I'm curious, how would you feel about people going back and kind of modernizing some of your old routes that fall into that category of things that you, you would probably do differently if you were to put them up now. Has that ever happened?
1: No, no, I don't think anybody's that I'm aware of has really added any bolts. No, maybe it's happened up on Father Tom and Middle Cathedral. Okay. Um, I know the route's changed a little bit is what I've heard Um, or like some like long slings have been added to things so you can clip it from like lower things like that. But, um, which I don't know, I, I have sort of mixed feelings about that stuff. Like the route up on Fairview Dome, like, I don't think it should be changed. I mean, it's a, it's, it shows a moment in time, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it is what it is now, you know, I don't know if I need to go back and change it. There's still other routes to climb. There's plenty of other routes to climb up there. It's not like it's a formation with six routes and like, you know, half of them are these like horror shows, Uh you know, there's 40 routes on the thing, you know, there's plenty to climb. Like if that route only gets done once every 10 years, like that's the nature of that climb, you know? And so it is, you know, I mean, I I don't think that's that big of an an issue. Um, I mean, yeah, I I would be a bit bummed if somebody went up there and rat bolted in, put bolts in, in everywhere, you know, and I guess I've always tried to not do that to other people's routes. Mm -hmm. you know i've I've obviously i've free climbed around other aid climbs i've you know kind of linked up some other features that have been maybe climbed before and i've always tried really hard to be like you know what we got to still sort of preserve the experience they had because it is history it is how they did it at the time and it you know it shows like shows their skill so uh, you know maybe in an area where there's more where, there, where there's less opportunity and, you know, somebody just completely botched a line. You're just like, oh man, this thing would be so much better if, if somebody just added a couple of bolts or moved them around a bit and, you know, maybe be a little bit more okay with it. Um, but I, I, and I think it's just, it, it's every situation's different. You know, it's like one of those ones you can't just like, there's no proper, Analytical rule to it where it says a logical rule that says, if then, then this. It's just like, I don't think that's true. I think you got to be up there and kind of, it's a little subjective. I think that's the only, only way to approach it.
0: Well, Mikey, you have a resume that spans so many different facets of the sport and so many different areas. I mean, there's no way we can cover it all. You know, there's like this whole chapter of your life. In Patagonia, you spoke to your chapter in Yosemite, and that's, you know, you know, I'm sure neither of those chapters are closed. But if you're from the Northwest, like I am, if you spend a lot of time around Oregon or Washington, it's impossible to hear your name and not think of Liberty Bell. When we were talking over the last couple of days, I was asking you about things that you'd be interested in, in talking about. And one thing that you said is a lot of my climbing arc can be told through stories of experiences I've had on Liberty Bell. I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to hear kind of how that feature in that area kind of came on your radar and how that started and maybe hear some of that arc.
1: Yeah. That that mountain means a lot to me for sure. I, uh, I'm pretty sure I've spent more time on Liberty Bell than anybody else ever. You know (laughs) I mean? Just total amount of days. Like, I I mean, I know there's some guides that, that go up there and guide, you know, like some of the classic routes and they've spent a lot of days up there, but just like sheer volume of days, like, You know, it's like sort of hard to add up now of of how many days from my just earliest sense of the classics to the routes I've free climbed, to the routes I've repeated, and to the routes I've established. Um, So, yeah, I mean, growing up in in Washington and always...
0: Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Tacoma. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was always sort of drawn to adventure climbing and big wall climbing. I always just thought that is what you did. That was the sort of natural the progression like to me that's was sort of climbing a lot of other you know if it was like sport climbing or gym climbing that was like literally sort of training or fun climbing but like the climbing that mattered was just like adventure big wall expeditions like that was it to me like that's that's just what i thought climbing really meant as as you progressed Hmm. um and i would say growing up in washington then like liberty bell is like Is kind of our big our big wall like that's that's our big formation. The east face of Liberty Bell is is sort of the the most classic you know big wall formation in in Washington. So I mean I couldn't tell you like when I heard about it the first time, but I I don't know probably you know I was 14 or something like that, and I, I started climbing when I was when I was 13, and all those years are obviously a little bit hazy at this point in my life i've never been good about keeping track of dates and having notes and i don't have a journal or anything like that so whenever i use dates and times it's take away the grain of salt like i could easily be a couple a couple years off i i don't know it's always been unimportant to me um but i mean i think the first time i went up there to climb liberty bell was i think i was 14 or 15 15 i mean i couldn't drive yet that i, I know for <laughs> sure a hundred percent and yeah, my, my partner at the time, Blair, who I went up to Alaska with, yeah, we did our first, well, at least my first big wall was up there on a route called Thin Red Line. Oh, no and, way. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, now everybody thinks the Thin Red Line is like, oh, that's like the classic free climb of Washington, essentially. Like, that's our, you know, to use a cliche, that's our astro man. I mean, for sure. Like, Thin Red Line is like the astro man of, of the Northwest. Is it 12 minus? Um, yeah, it's like mid-512, okay. so straight mid 512. 12B, 12C, I don't know, 512. But back then, I mean, you look in the old Becky guidebook, it was like a grade 5, like A3. Oh, wow. I mean, most people fixed pitches and then either drug a portal edge up there or slept on like pitch 9 or pitch 10. Like it was a proper big ball. Like you had to nail and yeah, you had to bring pitons for it. Like, it was an aid climb. Like, there was maybe the first pitch you would free climb, and, uh, which was, like, 5'10", and then after that, I think you, you aid climbed, I don't know, six, seven pitches in a row of, of proper tinkering, you know? Like, there some I think, some fixed heads and some knife blades, and, and so the first time I ever slept in a portal ledge was up there. Yeah, on Thin Red Line, and we actually Blair and I shared a single portal ledge because, um, you know, we couldn't like afford two, and I think we borrowed even the one we slept in. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, they're really expensive, especially for you know being a teenager, right? You know, you can't just go throw down five hundred bucks on a portal ledge, right? So yeah, I mean that was that was definitely like one of the earliest you know sort of routes that I like hauled on and then slept on it, and then we you know came back and I did Liberty Crack in a day, which is like one of the 50 classic climbs in North America, also as an aid climb. And I mean, back then it was just like everything on it was an aid climb over there. That's just what, that was like kind of the aid climbing destination And then I I moved to Yosemite in, you know, my early, well, late teens, early 20s. And I, you know, climbed a lot on El Cap. And then you start seeing a lot of these, like, big walls, you know, be free climbed. I mean, definitely during that time is when a lot of the action was happening on El Cap. The Huber brothers were sort of, like, showing what was possible of, like, free climbing all these, you know, older aid climbs. And, yeah, it was interesting. And then I... I returned kind of to the Northwest, I mean, I was always going back for the winters to hang out with my, my brother and my family and and do some climbing, but it wasn't until I was sort of done guiding and in Yosemite and could climb in other places during the summer. I remember going back up to, to Liberty Bell and sort of like looking at it differently because I'd spent all this time in Yosemite and I was just like, oh, wait a second, like just because they're eight climbs doesn't mean they can't be free climbs, you know? And so. Yeah, I kind of set my eye on on Thin Red Line, and I feel like I really like applied the, sort of the tactics that I had learned in Yosemite from like what other people were doing, and and just sort of having a different vision and being able like look at things differently, and being like oh wait a second like you know that's only a three like huh I bet there's a chance it's a free climb. Hmm. So yeah, I think just like those years of being away from it and then being in Yosemite really just shifted my perspective of what is like kind of possible. So yeah, I, I think I free climbed thin red line in 2008 and it had been attempted maybe a couple times before but uh there was one pendulum on it that people couldn't really figure out and i don't think anybody else sort of had the vision to be like oh well we can just go around that they were sort mm. of just trying to free the actual line and i was like what well, but if we like you know climb down and around and over here and you know like put a couple of bolts in and like we can we can climb around it yeah so i think that was 2008 that i did that and then at one point, I, I freed Liberty Crack kind of for the second free ascent. The, Liberty Crack's kind of got a complicated free climbing history to it. It's too much to even get into, I would say. There's a lot of okay. asterisks. Okay. Everybody's got asterisks on that one in, in, <laughs> until, until I went back again. Um, it took me, a, yeah, multiple tries to get a, you know, get rid of all the asterisks. But um, yeah, I did that one, I don't know, maybe like 2010 or something like that. And then
0: I, Did that end up going free at like 5.13?
1: Yeah, it's like 13 minus. Okay. If you're normal height, I would say if you're short, it's actually a little easier. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually find it to be 5'13, so uh but again, I think that's just due to my size. If you're like a full-size human, it's probably a fair bit harder. <laughs> um Yeah, sometimes it pays to be yeah, short. So and then again, my my dates are always so so off, but um and then I forget what year it was. I sort of I did my first, like, proper new route up there, which was just to the right of Thin Red Line. And I ended up doing that route all by myself. Hmm. I couldn't really find anybody to get psyched on it. So I ended up, like, yeah, doing that one all, all, all by myself. I ended up even rope soloing it for the send.
0: Oh, no so, kidding. And
1: it's, yeah, it's, like, 12, 12C or something like that. It's got a couple pitches of, of 512. And, yeah, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever just, like, properly rope soloed.
0: Is there a quick way to describe for listeners what that means? what your actual approach was and how you do that?
1: Well, yeah, you, you fix one end of the rope to the anchor and then you put the grigri on your harness. And then as you climb up, you just feed rope out through the grigri and,
0: and lead climate place you, gear you, clip up
1: climate place gear. You know, that part's all like normal. It's just that the grigri is attached to you instead of your partner. And then the rope is tied to the anchor instead of you. So you're just you're just like flipping those two attachment points. And so then you're just doing double duty. The biggest problem is that, well, nobody's holding the brake strand, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, whenever you're gripped, it's sort of like you look down and if your player was like talking to somebody else with their hand off the grigree, uh-huh. that's essentially what it's like all the time, right? You're up there and you're just like cool, Blair's not paying attention except the Blair's me, you know, like <laughs> nobody to blame but myself right now. Blair's
0: incredibly preoccupied so, uh, with hard climbing.
1: Totally, <laughs> like trying to send the move. I'm like, I should grab the brake strand, but I got to hold on with my other hand. Um, so, yeah. It's, so then at
0: the top of the pitch, you have to fix the line, lower down, clean all your stuff, and then jug back up?
1: Climb it again. Yep. Okay, got yep. it. Exactly. So, yeah, it, t- it takes a while. I mean, it was not. A, it's not a huge route by any means, Um you know, I think I did five new pitches. They're long pitches. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I would have been probably happy to have a partner, but then it kind of dawned on me. I was I was hoping the climbing was going to be harder than it actually was, and hmm. I was hoping the line would be was going to be, like, 513 and just keep me a little bit more interested. And so one of the ways I thought I was, like, to make it a little bit more interesting was to just rope solo it in the end. I was hmm. just like, okay, well, Ike, with a belay, I think this would be pretty casual outing for me. And so I was like, oh, well, this will make it more interesting. I'll just go and rope solo it. So, yeah, it was a fun way to just sort of, yeah, go up there and do it myself. And then I definitely, like, spent a lot of time in Yosemite at that point rope soloing things. I mean, I put up there out on Liberty Bell after I put up uh, Father Time on Middle Cathedral. Okay. And I self-belayed a lot of that thing. Oh, wow. Not on the send, but to put the rope up and to lead it. I mean, I, I probably soloed 65, 70% of it or something like that. Okay. So my, I'd kind of got my system dialed for sure. And that's, so, a, again, that's
0: a 13B on Middle Cathedral. I actually yeah, talked about yeah, that yeah. one uh, quite a bit with, with Katie Lambert. If people are interested, check out that one. We, we talked a lot about that route, and it was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, we could, again, that's, like, one of those routes we could probably spend, you know. A whole time on. It's, like, yeah. I spent years of my life up there, so I'm sure oh, we can wow. talk about it for, for, cool. for a while. Yeah, so, but anyways, you know, and again, almost to bring back my experience in Yosemite and then to... You know, Liberty Bell, it was like, I kind of was like, okay, you know, I, I learned these skills in Yosemite and now I was applying them up there on Liberty Bell. So yeah, that was, that was uh called Liberty and Justice. And then, and then I did another route a couple years later called Slave to Liberty, which is like 13B or something, which really takes the, it's actually the, the, the King line up the mountain. Hmm. It's like the most front and center, like longest route. Like, you know, it's what you see. I mean, it is just like the plumb line up the mountain. And again, like that was just kind of for me a progression. Is I mean it was quite hard. There's there's I don't know how five pitches of five twelve or so, and then a pitch of five thirteen, um, and and pretty darn hard and insecure five thirteen sort of like slab climbing. Okay, um, pretty gross. I would say really hard, just grabbing razor blades and dime edges and yeah and i mean at the time i was just like i remember being pretty proud because i was like oh i think this is like this is like the hardest essentially multi-pitch route in washington now hmm. maybe there was routes that had you know some 513 on them but i don't think there was anything sort of as stacked at okay. the time as as that thing i think that was like that was it you know like that was the top of the game for you know, for the Northwest and, but unfortunately it's not actually like that great of a route. There's some good climbing on it, but the crux pitch is like less than desirable. It's probably one of the worst pitches on the route. And mm. like, I would never like, if it was at the crag, it probably wouldn't get climbed, you know? <laughs> so it sort of left me feeling a little bit like bummed in a way. Cause I thought that would be the one I was like, okay, this is the one, this is going to be like the benchmark modern hard, hard, hard route, hmm. but I just don't think it's ever going to be that it's, it's just not good enough. And, um, which, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I kind of did disappoint me in a way. Cause it was like, I think it would be cool having, you know, just growing up in Washington and been climbing there for so long and like starting really at the ground level and, and then to sort of, to put up the route, right. That mm-hmm. like, the young kids will can eventually aspire to, you know, I I think there's something cool. And maybe that's just like ego or something like that. Like to know that it's like, oh, cool. I like put up, you know, sort of the hardest multi-pitch rock climb up there in the state. Um, I don't know, but I do, I do know. I was like, oh, this is sort of unfortunate that like, it's not actually better.
0: Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. But Then you, you ultimately, you found it, right? You found the gym. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I
1: think, thankfully, I just, you know, I spent so much time up there, hiking up there to that East Face, you know, a lot of time by myself. And it turns out when you're by yourself, you you know, it's easy to be a bit lazy. And, you know, you don't really have to, like, if you sit around for an hour, you're not really disappointing anybody but yourself. Um <laughs> Which is one of the hard parts of, like, doing routes by yourself, right? It's just that there's nobody there to disappoint, right? You're just like, yeah, I'm going to just sit around or, like, I'm going to hike up to the base and just, like, lounge for a couple hours. Well, you know, a partner would be like, dude, what are you doing? Even though maybe they want to do the same thing, but they wouldn't say that, right? <laughs> right totally. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of like you're the bit of a poker face always. You're like, no, I'm totally psyched. Oh yeah, I'm psyched. And then you then you guys get psyched, right? But if you don't have a partner, it's, that's a lot harder to do. It's it's harder to lie to yourself. It turns out. So I, I just spent a lot of time, you know, sort of staring up at the wall. I mean, I've always just loved like looking up at cliffs and mm. just sort of understanding like what's been climbed, like really gaining like an intimate knowledge. Of something and just being like, oh, that's that line. Oh, that's that line. Like, I know every corner, every feature that's ever been climbed on it, right? Mm. And that, and I can look up at Liberty Bell and just be like, oh yeah, that that feature right there, maybe it's only 60 feet long, hasn't been climbed, or that's been climbed. You know, I mean, every single feature on, on it, you know, as far as the East face goes. And, and then I, I kind of realized, I was like, well, that feature over there hasn't been climbed. And it looks really Chossie from the ground. The first couple pitches are kind of blocky and covered in lichen. And I was just like, oh man, I don't think this is going to be, be very good. And I think that's what most people thought at the time. I remember sort of texting Blake Harrington, who's definitely spent a lot of time up on Liberty Bell as well. And he's like, oh yeah, that, that face, you know, over there on on kind of the, you know, above the chalkstone. I was like, yeah, that thing. And, and uh, I mean, literally he, he said Chossie in his reply, you know, and, um, and then s j and I like ended up wrapping in on it, and it was like the exact opposite of Choss. It was amazing, <laughs> just like immaculate rock, like super cool features and crimps and holds and like I mean I was blown away I mean I was just like after spending so much time up there i you think I would know better. Right. Uh-huh. But it sort of goes to show, you still just got to go inspect it. You got to go look. It's like, I don't know everything about it, you know? And so, you know, we wrap in and have a look and, and it is just like, holy shit, this is like absolutely amazing. Rock. Oh my
0: gosh. That's um, so cool. Could you tell it's right away?
1: Th- oh yeah. No, I mean, we, we, yeah. So we climbed a sort of an adjacent route and traversed in and, and I think we just wrapped in like like from the halfway point down okay, and which looked like it would be the hardest. So I was like, okay, let's just like, let's check that stuff out. And, um, so anyways, yeah, checked that out and, and it was just totally like, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the line. This is the one actually. <laughs> um, and I mean, it was like dead obvious to me. I mean, I think I've, I've just done enough new routes and I've rock climbed long enough. I can just kind of look at something and be like. Yep, that's going to go. That's going to be hard. You know, I mean, I don't know how hard I thought at the time, but I, I, you know, I feel like I was like, oh yeah, that's probably thirteen plus, you know, or thirteen C or some somewhere uh, along those lines. And uh, and sure enough, I mean, it's it's you know ended up being thirteen plus and uh, sort of. Uh, (laughs) Right. Prob. It sounds like it, it might be a little debatable how hard it actually is. Yeah.
0: I talked quite a bit with Sj about this one. And specifically about what you just alluded to about the grade. And I think um, I think anyone listening to this that wants to hear more should go listen to the the interview with SJ, because it's a really funny story. Just the, the boulder and the grade and kind of the whole discussion about that whole thing.
1: Yeah, no, the, the, SJ and I, we, we had a lot of debate up there of how hard it
0: was, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> um, I have been called a sandbagger for sure, um, which I have always sort of taken offense to.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: I personally don't feel like I'm a sandbagger. I think sandbaggers do it with, like, malicious intent. Mm. I think people that I would call sandbaggers are doing it to, like, throw somebody off or, like, some sort of ulterior, like, motive behind saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's only that hard, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I honestly don't. That's, that's not why some of my routes, apparently. I don't feel like that's true. That the grades I've proposed for my own climbs, I just don't think that is accurate. You know, hike up there on uh, on Liberty Bell, it's like, I've spent a lot of time climbing on granite, right? I, I've practiced. I've practiced that style of climbing a lot more than SJ has. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that we can climb the same thing and she's going to think it's harder. She's less mm-hmm. practiced at it, right? So possibly for her, her own personal experience okay, you know, maybe that is like 514, you know, but for me, it's just like, I've just done this so much that it's just like, no, I mean, there's one finger crack in particular that was like, she's like, it's 512, it's 512, it's 512, you know, and I'm like, I think it's like, it's like mid 511, you know, I was just like, this is like, not even a thing, you know, I'm just like, you just stem up it and there's like all these no hands rests and you know and she keeps falling off of it i'm like really uh and then it's interesting by the by the end by Uh the end she sort of as she gained experience on that pitch you know she's like okay okay maybe it's 11 plus you know and and i think that's a very compressed sort of experience that shows you know you know how experience can change Mm -hmm. the perception of, of how hard it is and you know it's just that my sort of time of experience is much greater on Granite than hers. So it makes sense that the overall grade for me just sort of feels a bit easier. And, but anyways, yeah, I mean, I might've been in better shape than I thought to, I don't know, <laughs> uh-huh. but uh, I I do think, yeah, in the end, it's like, mm, I wouldn't be surprised if most people would go up there and be like, yeah, I think that's 514. Got it. Uh, with a V, with a V10 Crocs. And, and definitely after uh, spending the, The next winter bouldering in Bishop and doing a handful of V tens, it sort of made me look back on the thing on uh, on Liberty Bell, being like, "Ooh, (laughs) yeah, I I guess that is V ten because that took way more tries." Like,
0: interesting, way, way,
1: way, way, way more tries. You know, it's the sort of thing I couldn't. I couldn't do the moves for days up there. I couldn't even wow. like, get in the right body position for right. a few days. But I was never much of a boulderer, so I don't know. I'm like, right. I have no idea. I'm like, I don't know. Does that mean that's V8? I don't know. I mean, I honestly had no idea how, how hard I could boulder. So, you know, we're up there proposing a bouldering grade because it's kind of a boulder problem move. And, and so I'm just, like, oblivious. But then after <laughs> spending a couple months in Bishop bouldering, and it was just like, oh, wait a second, like... I'm flashing V8 and doing like V9, V10 in like a day. I uh-huh. was like, huh. I was like, yeah, maybe that thing's a little little harder than I thought of Liberty Bell. So, right. <laughs> but, again, but again, it's like the difference is it's like it wasn't like malicious. I, didn't, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like totally. rate this thing 13, you know, minus, and I want to see others go up there and get totally schooled and pushed around. Like that was not it at all. I was just being honest. You know, it's just like, okay, I think this is how hard it is for me
0: totally and to your point it is so hard to grade things in that style i mean if anyone's gone to leavenworth and tried to climb like a v10 slab boulder or i don't know a v2 slab boulder for that matter like some of that stuff feels so incredibly hard it's so different from having a route where or a boulder where you can climb on holds you know grab holds and pull on them
1: yeah absolutely and i mean i've I think I've gotten pretty good at doing routes without holds (laughs) for sure. hundred percent. I mean, just like lots of time on granite turns out, you know, and and I've just climbed a lot of less than vertical hard routes in Mm -hmm. Yosemite. And you know, it it practiced turns out, you know, and a lot of people shy away from that style of climbing because it's generally not that much fun Mm. until you kind of figure it out and get better at it. Mm. And it's, it's just not as, obvious of a style is, you know, more classical sport climbing or, you know, something that's steep with more holds. And, you know, it's like the antithesis of sort of fun sport climbing. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: it makes sense why I guess people repeat some of my routes and be like, well, that's really hard. And it's just like, yeah, you probably haven't done as much of it as I've done. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think all we can ever do when we rate climbs is like rate them through your own experience. It's like, how could I rate it through somebody else's experience? I, I don't know what it's like, you know? So I like to think I'm honest, but I've also learned that apparently like my scale is a little off. And so now whenever there's any question, I just err on the side of like it harder.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, I think there's like kind of two philosophies of grading that are, neither of them are malicious or any of those things that you were kind of, they don't carry those connotations that you were kind of alluding to, but one is like, let's try to grade it dead middle of the grade like as spot on as possible and then the other philosophy is more like there's no way it could possibly be any easier than x grade you know so i'm just going to give it that and it seems like you fall a little bit more into the latter category a little more conservative
1: yeah i think so and that's just the time again spent in yosemite and i think climbing in the northwest it index a lot like where the grades were hard Mm -hmm. you know where where 512 was like legit you Mm -hmm. have to earn it even to this day Right. Even to this day, you got to earn it. And then, you know, lots of years at Smith Rock, too. A place where you got to earn it. I mean, I've just never really spent time in places that are known for their sort of, like, giveaway grades. Like, Mm -hmm. I just unfortunately I, I look forward to going to greece you know for <laughs> some honeymoon climbing at some point you know uh-huh. i just haven't i haven't got to go to those places so i think it's just part of just, yeah my experience of climbing areas where it's it's really technically demanding climbing
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: conditions dependent it's a very particular style and so then when you you know you get people that Aren't used to that particular style. That aren't good technical climbers. That don't understand like how important conditions are. They they come and be like, oh, that thing's so hard, and you're like, well, yeah, but you know, you haven't done this before. So, yeah. But anyways, I am erring on the side of like, oh, maybe that is a little bit harder than I think, I guess. And and I don't know. Maybe it really also comes down to me just always being like, not thinking I'm as strong as I am. You know, always hmm. being a little like. Yeah, but I'm not actually that guy, you know. I'm not actually as strong as so and so, or like, you know, I'm just not that strong. Yeah, and and that's probably just a something that I've always thought, you know. And and
0: that's interesting. And I
1: just I just don't look at myself in the same league as a lot of people, and other people would probably probably argue with me about that, you know, and be like, no, you're totally, and I'd be like, no, no, that death dude's really strong, you know. It's like he's. He's a team, and I'm, I'm, like, solid,
0: like, B leaguer, you know, sort where of thing. Where of. do you think that comes from?
1: I, you know, maybe it's just, like, growing up in Washington, the attitude there is a little different than, like, it's, it's just, like, a little bit more reserved. Uh-huh. I don't know. Just always, like, yeah, never really feeling like, you know, like, I was that great of a climber, you know? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I'm not scared to say I'm a good climber. You know, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to self describe myself as a great climber. Like I just like I don't know. Like I I always I look at other people and I'm always just like, Oh no, that guy's a great climber, you know? And and I don't I'm not sure what it is. Like why why that is by any means and, and I mean I wonder exists.
0: if I wonder if part of it's just how well travelled you are and the work you do, the photo work you do for Patagonia and meeting a lot of the best climbers in the world. Maybe you just have a, a different paradigm or your paradigm is shifted from how most people think of hard climbing.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that is probably true. I mean, it's like, I've been fortunate enough to climb with literally some of the strongest climbers in the world. It's like, you know, I've, I've been on a bouldering trip with Alex Magos, uh, you know, I was in Seuse with them. I've, I've got to climb with, with Tommy. I've got to, you know, I've roped up with, with Honnold quite a bit. And, you know, Josh Wharton, like, you, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, when I compare myself to them, it's just like, no, nah, I'm in a different league that's just obvious and maybe like when you're not as good and you don't have as much experience and you look at the people above you it's kind of compressed right Mm -hmm. you're just seeing kind of the back of it right that's all you're seeing and it's just like oh those people are so much better it's really hard to differentiate how large of a gap there is or sort of a spread of ability up there but then when you're like closer to it it becomes a little bit more obvious Mm -hmm. of like oh no no like that guy's really strong, you know? (laughs) And maybe that's sort of that, you know, kind of like that chart I mentioned, you know, is like as you become an expert, you start to really realize how little you know and how not strong you are Mm because you see somebody that is so ungodly strong and you're like, yep, that guy's (laughs) a great climber. You know, Uh I'm still just a good climber. So, (laughs) and I mean, I also think part of that is just that like, I have never spent a lot of time trying to master any one aspect of the sport Mm. i've jumped around a lot you know i mean it's the classic you know jack of all trades master of none sort of thing that like it's like oh maybe i'll sport climb for a few years but then i'll like get psyched on you know adventure climbing again or new routing or alpine climbing or mixed climbing and the reality is i mean you've only got so much energy to go climbing and time. And if you spread all that energy and time out amongst a bunch of different disciplines, like it's really hard to get good at all of them or to get great at all of them. I I think you can get good, but there's very few examples of people that are great Mm. at all the disciplines of climbing. I mean, we're talking, that's like, you know, the upper pyramid where there's like, I mean, I don't know. I'm talking less than five climbers in the world. You know, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, they're great at all of it. You know, they're, they're like V14 climbers. They've climbed M10. They've Alpine climbed, you know, they sport climb, you know, 9A, like there's not that many people, right. That do that. I mean, that is like a very, very small subset of of the climbers out there. And, and so I think that maybe that's part of it. It's just like, I have tried to like be good at all those things. And then that's hurt my overall ability in each, in each form of climbing. You know, which is fine. I am totally okay with that. And I think, you know, the one benefit of sort of working on all the different disciplines is they do really help each other out. I mean, I've hmm. always looked at it sort of this like the spiral, right? And if you kind of continually sort of move through the disciplines, they all elevate each other. Hmm. You know, as you climb, you're able to do things that might mix like 513 rock climbing. M8, really hard bouldering, like altitude climbing, you know, but if you just had focused on sport climbing, like there's a lot of things that you couldn't do because like they require other skills. Yeah. I've always looked at it like, okay, I I did this for a while. Now I should go back to this. And hopefully what I learned from bouldering is going to help, you know, my sport climbing, which is like the most obvious one, right? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you want to become a better sport climber, just get stronger, you know, like get Mm -hmm. stronger, like make V10 easy. 514 is going to feel a lot easier, right? So that's like kind of, I think the obvious one, you know, but then people don't realize, well, okay, now you're a stronger sport climber, crack climbing and traditional climbing, definitely you can get easier. Hmm. Okay. And now as that's gotten easier, free climbing out cap, also going to get easier, but you know what? else makes free climbing Cap easier being an eight climber and a big wall climber. Right. So I think it all sort of feeds itself and that allows you to continually be moving upwards without just focusing on one sort of dimension and one sort of siloed approach to climbing. And I think the things I've like always been drawn to and still are somewhat drawn to just do require a variety of skills, hmm. you know, like, I mean, I think a good example is like, I got a free climb the southeast ridge of which was like the second free ascent. David Lama did the, the first ascent, and a lot of people know it from, you know, he did a big sort of movie about it, and there's a lot of controversy sort of also behind it. But I mean, that thing was proposed like 513B in the Alpine. Mm -hmm. Right. Where you had to like, I mean, the first eight pitches were like, you know, you had to have crampons and ice tools on it. And then, you know, like there was just a variety of, of climbing. And if I hadn't spent all that time working on all those different skills, like there's no way I could have done that thing. So, you know, I look at that climb and that was probably a great climb. I mean, that was probably like the closest I've maybe ever been to being a great climber, you know, was on that because I, I was able to like use all of these other skills I had that I'm good at. And I put it all together and was able to be like, Oh no, like that was a great climb, but those are few and far between. I mean, it's just, there's not a lot of routes like that. And, um, you know, and you only get lucky and you're know, able to have those sorts of experiences maybe a hand, handful of times in your career where it all sort of comes together, where it like suits you perfectly. And, you know, and then there's all the envir- environmental variables of just, you know, the actual weather and having time and conditions and partners and so many other things need to come into play, you know. And I, I do look at that one and be like, okay, like it all kind of came together then of like all of hmm. my skills as a, as a climber. Like I would not have been able to do that if I hadn't been sport climbing previously. Mm-hmm. And most people would be like, what? That's like a gigantic alpine climb. Surge is like <laughs> right. the hardest, you <laughs> right. know, used to be one of the hardest sort of mountains to stay on top of, right? And most people would not like sort of be like, oh yeah, you got to be a strong sport climber to do that thing. But I mean, ultimately, you know, like you look at my partners, I was with, with Josh Wharton and Andrew Rothner and I was like, you know, Rothner climbs like V14 and Wharton climbs like, I don't know, I think he's done V14 and, you know, on sites 513, like it's kind of no big deal you know mm-hmm. so I just think it shows that sort of importance right to have that sort of ability and, and all the other disciplines to like do something like that
0: so Mikey with that I would love to dig into what drives you to pursue all the disciplines I'm curious have you always just wanted to be the jack of all trades or is it just that you enjoy variety and you you get tired of one thing and want to do the next thing or is there some element of that objective that you just described was it on Sarah Torre?
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, is you is know. that
0: like what it's all for? And you've kind of had that in the back of your mind from the, from the beginning. How do you think about that?
1: I mean, honestly, I, I think one of the reasons that I kind of jump around through the different disciplines is to not get bored with climbing. Mm-hmm. I don't want climbing to be boring. I don't want it to feel monotonous. And I think by like moving around, you know, a lot, you know, continually sort of like Getting better at something and then being like, okay, I'm gonna move on. Like, it's allowed me to stay pretty darn psyched, you know? I, I think most people would consider me as like a pretty motivated climber still. Uh-huh. I'm not hyper motivated by by any means. I'm not I'm not an overstoker climber. Um I don't think anybody would really ever say that about me. But I've had a consistent sort of motivation and upward trajectory for you know 28 years now of climbing and, and I, I think a lot of that is really due to the fact that i've just been like okay like i should go do something else now hmm. just don't get bored with it and i don't know if i realized that from the beginning you know like that was not some sort of decision i made i was like oh yeah like this is gonna like create this sort of long-term you know career for me by doing it this way like I I didn't know I think that's easy to say in retrospect Mm -hmm. now of like why I've done it this way but yeah I think it just helped me sort of stay stay psyched and just get better at things and maybe it was the era I grew up in of climbing too I mean I I grew up with going to a lot of like climber slideshows with like the likes of like Alex Lowe and Conrad Anker and you know guys like that that you were like oh wow like these guys are good at all the things, you know? And maybe that is just like those people. I was just naturally drawn to sort of that style of climber, you know, not this hyper-focused siloed approach, you know, where they just get really, really good at one thing. I, I don't know. I just, I was not fascinated with those people as much. I wasn't as impressed hmm. by them and, you know, and yeah. And again, maybe it's just like, This adventure sort of thing in me that that likes to go do routes that just require more skill. And and it's interesting. I think it is just partially a personality trait because I look at if I was to look at my uh, my career in sort of like photo video world, I'm also a bit of a jack of all traits. Interesting. I'm I'm totally the Swiss Army knife on productions, like 100 percent. I mean, I've gotten hired, you know, sort of on productions almost without like a defined role. without even like some specific need but the end once we're like in the production i morph into whatever is sort of needed because i've kind of practiced it all and i've gotten good enough at all of it that i can sort of just fit in and and take these sort of skills if it's being a camera operator or being a camera assistant or a sound guy or or or, i mean even a director or a producer Mm. i mean i've literally gotten credits for like all of those things at this point, you know, more more or less. So, um, which is pretty rare also in like the film world, like you don't see, you don't see that as much people are like, they do one thing and that's what they do. So I don't know. I think that's just who I am. You know, I, I, it's not that I get bored with things that I just, I like to understand how all parts of something works Hmm. and that includes climbing. You know, I, I look at climbing as a whole, you know, and that's, there's a lot of parts to it. And so really understanding like how it all works.
0: I'd love to hear where you're headed now with climbing. I've kind of witnessed a couple transitions in your climbing. We've spent a lot of time together at Smith, and I kind of got to see you really put your head down and kind of have your first proper sport climbing season. You were trying to break into 514, and you did it pretty fast. And, and since then, you kind of did the same thing with bouldering. You're like, "Huh, I kind of want to do more of that. I wonder if I could climb V10." And then it sounds like you climbed a bunch of them within <laughs> within you know the first couple months of your season. But I'm curious about it. About that. Is that just what feels fun and interesting to you now? Are those things kind of rounding out skill sets that you hadn't put as much time into for some greater objective? Tell me about that.
1: I mean, as far as the first part of the question, it's like, kind of like where I'm going. Yeah. Man, I've never known. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never had a six-month plan. Okay. Literally, like, and this it bothers SJ, I think, sometimes, you know, my girlfriend, she... Yeah. Cause she's so good at like making plans and like goals and objectives and all these things. And I mean, I've, I've literally never done the, like, oh, I'm going to write down my goals for the year. Hmm. I've never done that in my life. I mean, I have short-term goals and I work towards those goals and those goals are maybe, maybe three to six months. And what I've found is though, is like, it allows me to be pretty open for what, what comes at me Hmm. and like what makes the most sense like what's presented to me at the time and then I make a decision but I don't I don't make decisions before I'm presented with the opportunity I guess okay I don't know like I have no idea what I'll climb in in the next six months no idea I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you if I'm gonna go bouldering or or new routing or I, I yeah I don't know it's just kind of like I'll do something and then along the way it's like another opportunity will arise or I'll see something or I'll get psyched or, you know, it's just like, oh, my schedule's changed. And, you know, now I know I'm going to have six weeks off in September. And then I just sort of look at like, okay, well, what makes the most sense? You know, what, what am I able to train for? Like, you know, do I want to stay home? Do I want to travel? Like, what haven't I been doing? Right. So all those things, you know, I kind of throw it into the equation and then just be like, okay, well, maybe I should do this right now. I think. This would be the most beneficial for me, the most interesting. It just makes the most sense as opposed to like setting some goal a year out and not really knowing like what my life's going to look like at the time, hmm. right? Like I might have a job. I mean, the, we- the weather might suck, like who knows? And then it's all of a sudden, you, you know, if I spend all this time, maybe, you know, focusing on that thing and I get there and I realize, oh, that was like totally the wrong decision. Hmm. So maybe it's just that I like putting off the decisions until I have to make a decision, right? Like I don't want to set out and make some decision when it's like so far out and I don't actually know all the variables, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I I like to think I'm pretty analytical and so maybe that's part of it, you know? I'm not driven as much by just these like – these sort of ideas that are floating out there, you know, it's just like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'll see where I'm at when it, when the time comes. Um, so yeah, as far as like, you know, where am I going with my climbing? Oh man, it's just so hard to say. It's just like, you know, probably going to stay on the spiral track, you know, it's like, (laughs) I went, I went bouldering for a while. And I mean, right now I, if it wasn't for, you know, sort of COVID, I think I would be in Yosemite trying to put up another route on middle cathedral. Okay. You know, which is, such a departure from Boulder, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, like if Boulder the ends, biggest you, you, you departure, th- perhaps totally. It's like you throw your crash pad down at the base, and then you're just like, "Sweet, I'm going to try this thing," and and then we're done in four hours. You know, uh-huh. we're like, you know, a new route of Middle Cathedral is like setting off on this like multi-year endeavor mm-hmm. where it's going to be 50s, 60s 70 days of effort and toiling and like I mean it's such a different thing I mean they're, they're barely in the same like league of climbing and and that's what I had sort of thought I was doing but, but now you look at you know what's going on and it's just like well who knows what I'm going to be doing so and I think that's a little bit more magnified just given the the current situation we're all in of just being like how do you make a plan right now yeah you know? totally yeah and so I actually haven't like this is and I won't lie. This is probably the least motivated I've been in a really, really long time. Mm. And I'm I'm like totally okay with it. Mm. Um I mean, I I haven't I haven't been training. I haven't been on the hangboard and I mean, I watch you know SJs like come home from work and I like get on the hangboard and and I just like literally just sitting on the sofa just being <laughs> like I don't really care. Like I'm good. I don't know. So I, I don't know. I think part of it is yeah, what's going on and trying to find the next thing, you know, just, Mm -hmm. just seeing what, what sort of happens and you know, what, what comes at me. Yeah. Don't, don't really know. Yeah. What that's going to be. It's interesting. SJ and I just listened to the interview you did with Seagrist. Okay. Um, We actually just listened to it last weekend. So, and I was thinking of like, Oh, I'm going to talk to Steven. And I was like, Oh man, this is going to be very different than Seagrist. You know, (laughs) he's so much, he's so like awesomely methodical and you know, I mean, he's just like, it's so great, you know, I mean, he's like sets these goals and he trains specifically for him. And he's like, he's just analytical in his, his own way. You know, it's so different than, than even my approach. And I, I don't know, it was really interesting to listen to his and just like, kind of like think about mine and, you know, in our, in our approaches, how they are a little different, you know, but, uh. Um, Man,
0: that is my favorite part of this. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me how different people navigate the world, navigate climbing, navigate progressing at climbing. What motivates them, all of that.
1: Yeah, no, there, there's no there's no one way about it. Yeah, no, it's it is one of the great things about the sport. It's just like there's no recipe for success. There's some clues, you know, there's some variables <laughs> that you can plug in there, but I can't I don't think if there was a recipe, you know, it'd be so much easier, right? But there's just there's so many other factors that that you don't get a control, and, and I think that's what sort of makes it interesting. It's it's just like You kind of got to play the cards you're dealt and and play them as well as you can. And Actually, the people I admire most are the people that more or less have played the cards that they were dealt the best that they can. Hmm. It's not not the ones that always win. It's the ones that were like, oh, they were really smart about it. And Hmm. I think I saw that a lot climbing in Patagonia over the years where that was just like, you know, you you get a weather window and it is like – all of these different options, right? And it's like, do you go big? Do you go all in and go some, try some huge objective? Or do you, do you be like, no, I'm kind of going gonna, gonna to hang back and I'm going to see what happens the first day or I'm going to let things dry off and then try this. And it really was a bit of a card game, right? Of just sort hmm. of like trying to input all these variables and then be like, okay, what's our highest probability of reward right now? Like, what is the objective we're going to do that is really going to like, give us the highest reward and that's really hard you know i think that's a really hard equation to always have success at and you know i saw a lot of people that had that they would come down there with these these grand goals they'd show up be like we're gonna do this and you know and be like uh-huh sure you are like you know and uh and i just thought it was more or less a poor approach because they sort of often would go all in on this project and well it's just like the variables weren't there like, they had no hmm. chance. They weren't dealt the cards, right? And so as opposed to just, like, playing the cards you were dealt and making the most of, of that situation that you have right then, they were already set on playing it this way, and then they just they lost. They, they walked hmm. away with nothing, you know? And I think my approach was always different. My approach was just like, okay, what's going on right now? Like, what can we do that's going to give us, yeah, I'm mean, going say the highest reward in this current time? And I think that led to a lot of successes because then it's sort of like if you sit there and play the game enough, you are going to walk away with some big, big wins, right? Because you're playing all the time. And, I mean, I know I was lucky because, you know, I could do that. I went to Patagonia uh, for 10 10 or 11 seasons. So inevitably I was going to have some big rewards just because I played the game enough. And not everybody Mm -hmm. has that opportunity, right? I mean, they just don't get to sit down and be like, cool deal me in again, deal me in again, you know? (laughs) So, uh, you know, but again, that's gotta be part of your, you know, your equation. It's just like, well, okay, I only get a certain amount of opportunities, you know, how, how big do I go, you know? And I think it almost like Seagrass sort of touched on that too, of like kind of picking, right? You know, objectives and getting some successes so you feel better about yourself. And yeah, but I I do, I think that's something I've been generally pretty good at of, of setting a sort of realistic goal, That's Mm -hmm. attainable. And maybe I've missed out on some bigger sort of things because I played my cards a little bit more conservatively. Hmm. Hard to say. Hard to say.
2: Yeah.
0: That's interesting. One idea I've been kind of thinking about a lot lately, and it, it came into my mind talking to Jonathan, and it's coming to my mind again with you, is it's just interesting how people think, how different climbers think about balancing investment for long-term success versus how do I make the most of what I'm doing right now and uh, something that just popped into my mind you know you're talking about spending 70 days toiling on middle cathedral I was talking to I've been hanging out with my friend Charlie Egan down here and Mm -hmm. he reminded me of a story I think he was climbing with you and this is a couple summers ago up in uh, Oregon and I think you had told him You know, he was like maybe picking your brain, like what helped you break into 514 sport climbing? Like you just kind of decided to become a sport climber and then you started smashing it. And you're like, oh, I just didn't spend a whole summer toiling on a wall. And instead I actually did a little bit of training and sure enough, I got better. So I'm curious about that. I'd love to hear maybe at the time what led to that decision and kind of how you think about what you just spoke to with Patagonia in a more zoomed out sense? Like, how do you think about how do I make the most out of what I'm doing or or my opportunities right this second versus, you know, when is it time to kind of take a a backseat and kind of invest in myself for my future? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah. And I guess, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to come off also short sighted, you know, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like, I don't set long term goals, but I end up achieving them in a way, mm. right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I do what's in front of me at the time. And I make these short term goals, and they all ultimately like lead to larger objectives. Mm. Um, it's just a slightly different approach. You know, I pick short term objectives first, and then the, those direct me from my long term goals, as opposed to like choosing a long term goal. And it like, sort of then dictating my short term things.
0: Got it. So the short-term goals, more often than not, they have some element of like, how is this going to help me progress as a
1: climber? 100%. I mean, I couldn't tell you what that exact goal is that I'm moving towards at the time because it maybe hasn't presented itself yet. Um, But ultimately, though, I know if I've achieved all these sort of short-term goals and I've done all the building blocks, you know, when I come to find out the thing that I really am psyched on, I will be prepared, Mm. right? Regardless sort of thing, right? Like, it doesn't matter, you know, as long as I did all my homework, I'm going to be so well-rounded enough that I'll be able to do that. You know, it's like the, the building the pyramid versus building the antenna, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, no, I've cool. always been a, belie- a believer in building the pyramid. Like, it's way harder to knock down a pyramid than it is an antenna, <laughs> period, right? Like, you know, I mean, you, you look at something with a base that's, you know, 100 feet wide versus something with a base that's like two feet wide, you know, I mean, it's just like, that's physics, right? And, you know, I think I've definitely approached, you know, my climbing the same way. And I think people are then often surprised when I sort of do something quickly, or like, climb what some people think is hard, because they're like, wow, but you didn't really like, you know, spend all that time, you know, doing that one thing. And I'm like, well, I did. It's just Mm. that like, I did it separated by a bunch of time, you know, I mean, I built the pyramid and I've let, you know, all those other experiences, they, they help. Then when I say, when I went to climb 514, you know, it's just like, I was able to draw on all these other aspects of climbing that allowed me to do it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to work up to 514 via, via the antenna. It's like, I already built the pyramid. (laughs) And so, I mean, I think that's definitely like you know, this, this sort of approach I've had, you know, and, and yeah, you know, I had to sort of recalibrate to climb five fourteen, but more specifically what sort of like led to that? Well, I, I actually tore my ACL in a ski net. Um, oh, that's
0: right. Yeah. Okay, I'd forgotten in, about injury.
1: that. Yeah. So, the, I mean, obviously that changes everything, you know, that's like all of a sudden she's like, oh, okay, well I can't work and, you know, in my line of work, I gotta be able to hike and climb and do all these things. And I can't adventure climb, you know, it's just not safe enough. And it was, I don't know, probably literally like a week after I hurt my knee, I was just like, okay, cool. I'm going to climb 514 now. This is my chance. (laughs) Because I never had time. You know, I was always distracted by all these other things and just, you know, kind of moving around. And I was like, okay, I've got the time. I'm going to have the energy. I can't work, you know. And so it was like, this makes the most sense. This is the time to do it. And... You know, I I don't want to say, I didn't go all in on training. I mean, that would, uh, I learned how to train. I'm totally what I consider a novice, you know, at training, but it was a great opportunity to just be like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this part now. And again, I Mm -hmm. think it almost goes back to how I've approached things, right? It's just like, okay, what makes the most sense right now? And for me, that was obvious. It was like, I hurt myself. I should learn how to train perfect. I've always wanted to do this part, you know, and now I've got the time. And uh, it was great. I was able to like, you know, start calling one of my close friends, Josh Wharton, who is definitely a training master, um, who's, mm-hmm. who is an incredible wealth of knowledge. And so to be able to just call him up or text him and just be like, okay, man, what's the deal? I, got, I want to learn how to do this. And so he was able to sort of spoon feed me the basics. And and yeah, I mean, I, I really just spent oh, months in the gym. I mean, it's all I did. I did PT and then I would just go to the gym and train and and that was it. And it was awesome. I mean, I joke and it was like the best thing that ever happened to my rock climbing was tearing my ACL. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. It gave me this opportunity, you know, like we're most, well, I don't want to say most people. I think a lot of people could be so bummed. They're like, oh my gosh, I tore my ACL. It's totally going to ruin my climbing season. Like I might not be able to do this and that for a long time. And, uh, man, I, I mean, literally, like, I'm such a better climber now because of that accident. Hmm. I mean, I'm so much stronger. I've done so much more in the last, like, couple years than I did previously. Like, I think a lot of it was just having the time, you know, not being on work and just being like, okay, like, I need to get stronger. And it's something that I, you know, I'd never really trained. And and i had never really gotten strong relative to my own ability. Mm -hmm. Like, I was... I kind of, you know, was up close towards my natural ability pretty easily, but pushing beyond that level and really sort of, you know, putting that, that work in to get stronger than what just, you know, was sort of natural to me. Like I'd never done, I just never approached climbing that way. And so, I mean, honestly, it was awesome. Like, <laughs> it was so cool to like see the gains that I could make, you know, I, I, I didn't really know. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I didn't I had no idea. You kinda think is like so I'd been at that point climbing, yeah, twenty five years or twenty six years or something, one would assume that you're not really gonna see a lot of gains, right? After that much time, you're like, Oh, I'm I'm probably as good as I'm ever gonna be. But I mean, I honestly, like, I had the exact opposite experience. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was able to just start seeing gains, just like boom, 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 and and um yeah, I mean I feel pretty fortunate. It led to like a pretty easy path to 514. Like it wasn't a struggle (laughs) by, by any means. I can attest
0: to that (laughs) for sure. Yeah.
1: It was just like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to do that. But again, it was just like, I, I put that other building block in there. You know, that was like one of the pieces that was missing from my, my climbing Mm. uh, ability was just like being strong. I mean, being strong is definitely part of it. You know I mean? You have to be strong, but if you never take the time to focus on getting strong, it's hard to do. Um, like, like every other little aspect of climbing. And so, I mean, no, it was great. It definitely like, was like, okay, like I got to work on this more. And I, I don't know if I realized how much I was lacking in hmm. just, just, just strength. Interesting. You know, I mean, I think my technique is, is quite, quite good. You know, I mean, after so many years of climbing, it's like, I would hope so. And the style of climbing that I've, I've done. And, but it was just, it shows that I was just like, I just wasn't strong enough. Like I could always, I had the skill to climb 514 ages ago, for Uh sure, 100%. I just didn't have the strength. And that was all it took. So it was was cool to see that, like sort of like just like drop that little piece in there and be like, oh, okay, that's what was missing. Um, (laughs) And I would say, you know, kind of the same thing, you know, sort of happened with bouldering. It was also just like, huh, okay, I've I've never really done this. And that's probably why I'm not that good at it. And uh, it was cool to like, you know, be able to focus on that. Just this last winter, it was kind of, I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to boulder. You know, we moved down to, to Reno, Nevada. So we were close to Bishop and it just, again, it sort of made sense. It was like, oh, this is the thing that we should go do. You know, it's, I'm going to have w- the winter off. That's the best bouldering season. It really lined up with my work as far as I could start training throughout the kind of the end of my work season. And so hopefully all the timing would work out and, and, and it, and it did, you know, and, but it was cool to drop another little like piece into the, into the puzzle, you know, cause I think bouldering was like one of the most obvious pieces that, um, that I was lacking and I still for sure I'm lacking. I mean, I, for me, V10 was the like immediate goal, but by no means the, like the goal. Like, I think that's, that's where I wanted to start, but hopefully I'll, I would like to focus on that a little bit more. I mean, I think I need to, cause mm. I, I mean, six weeks of it. I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't learn that much, you know, I didn't get get that good at it. It's like, sure. I did some things that might be considered hard for some people for sure. Like, I mean, V10 is obviously like, is hard rock climbing, but that, you know, it's all personal, right? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's how, how hard can I climb for myself? Not, not versus others. And so I think for me, like V10 was just like the first step and that was not, that, that was not the limit by any means for me, I think. So it was totally. good. It was, it was good. Yeah. It was a good motivator. It was also just cool to like, after so many years to sort of have an aspect of climbing that I hadn't really put that much energy into.
0: Was that kind of it the felt, one?
1: I mean, I would say out of anything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'd spent yeah, less days bouldering in my life than any other form of climbing. I mean, huh. I'd spent more days ice climbing. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I've probably spent more funny. days like dry tooling, you know, I just uh-huh. don't, I don't boulder. Like I just, like, I've never, I mean, I owned a bouldering pad so I could sleep on it in my van, you know, like literally like that's why I bought a bouldering pad. It never uh-huh. came out of the van to go bouldering. I, I would do it to go just be social or something. And, and I would boulder a little bit down in Shelton, like in between weather windows, but that that's like... Yeah, it's different. You know, there was no intent through yeah. any of that. And, uh, and so, yeah, to have this like sort of thing, kind of like training that I was just like, okay, I've never done that. Cool. Like, what, what do I get to learn from it? And like, and also just to see those gains, it's so rewarding, right? When there's something mm-hmm. new, it's, it's really easy to like make the gains. And, uh,
0: well, let's let's go to that because I know that there's someone out there that's like, oh, please ask him what he is, what he actually did, what he's doing, with your training, um, and we don't have to cover it too exhaustively. But I am curious. You and I had several conversations about it as Smith when you were, I think, had just done Scarface or you were working yeah. on it, and I kind of remember and, and fact check this, but um, I remember you had a really simple program. It sounded like it was just kind of some max hangs and weighted pull ups.
1: Yeah, I true? mean, definitely simple relative to something like you know Jonathan's again. You know, like I, uh-huh. I was an I was a novice trainer, right? So I had to sort of start with the foundational sort of stuff. And actually, so right after I, I yeah I tore my ACL and I started going to the gym and, and kind of learning learning how to hangboard. Essentially, I mostly just did a pretty classical repeaters. Okay, I actually just used the Beastmaker app. Because oh, okay. I think it's, and it's still what I recommend because people ask me now, like I'm some sort of authority and I'm just like, oh man, I have an no authority. <laughs> go, go ask somebody that really knows. I can tell you what I did, but that is far from being an authority. But it was the easiest to follow. You know, I hmm. looked at like the Anderson's, you know, manual and I was just like, I think I read the intro and it was just like, I was so turned off. I was like, It's wow, like a textbook
0: for rock climbing I do training. not
1: climb for the same reasons those dudes climb, you know, like we, yeah. are, we are very different climbers. And so I was like, yeah, new. So I was like, <laughs> what's, what's simple here? And yeah, so I just did standard, you know, seven on three off seven hangs sort of things, you know, repeaters, classic okay. high volume, nothing special. I started doing, yeah, weighted pull-ups working on, I mean, usually I was like three or four rep max. Sort okay. of things, um, so pretty high weight, low volume. One of the things I was concerned about, like, well, that I, I've struggled with is I'm, I'm short, right? So I have to reach farther between the holds, and like talking to to my buddy Josh, he's like, well, you just you need to like work on your power and your lock off strength, you know. And so, a good way to do that is just with weighted pull ups, and especially max. You know, my endurance was fine. You'll get endurance, you know. So, yeah. So doing a a, a setup. Yeah, working on the the max max pull ups. Learn how to do muscle ups. Mm. Again, a thing that's super important if you're short, I think, because interesting. You know, one of, one of that hardest movements is when you you know, say you lock off on a pull-up bar, you know, how do you push that to your waist? Hmm. Like that movement is pretty hard. You don't really get that. You know, it's kinda like campusing. Yeah. You know, but I, I find campusing it's it's like not that controlled. You can kind of throw your body, which is fine and all when you're throwing to a big hold, but like a muscle up like a pure one when you're not kipping, you know, is so much more controlled. So I think ultimately for non-dynamic climbing, which say is like Scarface, right? Like those are really long moves, but you have to be super precise. Like Mm -hmm. if I was just campusing, I don't think it would have been as beneficial because I would, you know, like throwing to the mono, you can't throw to the mono. You have to like lock off.
0: Yeah, they're odd holds too. You kind of have to nuance all of them. You don't just slot your fingers right in there.
1: Totally. Yeah. You got to be precision. And so I actually think working on the muscle ups was really, really helpful for that. That's interesting. Like
0: Jonathan was kind of training the same thing with a cable pull down machine. He was describing Mm. kind of like training your low hand on the campus, on the campus board with like a tricep extension pull down sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Which I, I mean, I think that is the move, right? I mean, that's the, that's the hardest move in a muscle up, right? Is transitioning from your armpits To your waist, right? Right. I mean, it's kind of like doing, you know, you can spend some time on the dips thing, but it is like, it's a slightly, you know, when you're doing dips, I mean, the bars are fixed, right? So Mm. it's just different. And then I think the mechanics of taking your hands sort of thumbs up, Mm. if you will, to, to sort of thumbs down you know where if you're on a dip machine they're always just sort of that thumbs down sort of like right you know you know that you, so it's a little different you know and sure. so i do think those were those were super helpful and man those things are hard if you're didn't grow up being a gymnast and they're hard to make look <laughs> yeah. look good right. um and i totally became that guy in the gym that would record himself um
0: i think that is so helpful it's funny to me i think people still don't want to do that cuz it feels egotistical or whatever it is but do it because you want to get better using your phone to film yourself and then reviewing i think is one of the best tools you can possibly do for for climbing or for what you just spoke to improving strength movements and in your form whatever it is but i think that is a totally underutilized tool
1: yeah well i mean you look at and most professional sports think. like like that's a no-brainer right i mean like right. yeah of course they record everybody like i mean I mean, a track athlete, like you know, a baseball pitcher, like they're definitely reviewing their form via video, you know, one hundred percent. So yeah, as climbers, I mean, I mean, I, I think you're totally right. Like, I mean, I think it's it's super helpful and it's like something that you know people should do more of. And I think there's just like such a negative connotation to it almost because people think you're doing you're recording yourself to like you know spray about and they're posting on the internet or, or something right. like <laughs> Put that. Put on Instagram. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like. I mean that's the last thing I want to do is like show myself on Instagram doing a muscle up I'm like <laughs> yo god it's not dorky. quite like
0: yeah that's not totally on brand for you
1: <laughs> no oh god no um but i would i you know i do you know i send it to you know a couple of my close friends and we banter back and forth about james you know, form and yeah with james and with josh <laughs> and like you know i mean i think that it's actually helpful for that you know it's just like yeah. oh you know have somebody else be out like, to look at you and be like oh yeah you know if you tried this or like yeah your form isn't perfect here or things mm. like that and uh you know i I mean, I think it totally helps. And it, it just, it's being smart, you yeah. know, right? It's just That's like, cool. it's just, it's being smart. So, so anyways, yeah, I worked on the muscle ups, uh, you know, the repeaters. I worked on, uh, worked on my front lever a lot oh, okay. too,
2: Interesting. which
1: is funny cause it's, I don't think it's actually that important for the style of climbing I usually do. I think if I climbed at the red or I climbed in, you know, like the Hurricane or you know, these like super crazy horizontal places, like mm-hmm. I should focus on it more. But but being short, it's just like it's just not that important, you know? Hmm. I mean yeah. A funny actually anecdote about this is uh I had never Really tried to do a front lever, like uh, it wasn't a thing. And when I was working on Free Solo, you know, Honnold would like train after a full day of climbing, and you know, we'd, we'd have these sort of training days. And, and he was working on his front lever, and you know, he's like, Well, oh, can you do one? I'm like, I'm, I don't know, never, I've never tried. And I and I like pull on and I like pretty much just do a front lever, you
2: know. And
1: I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, like talking to him, I was like, But I don't know, is this how you're supposed to do it? And he's just like, Huh?
2: what you know he's like like, what the hell dude
1: what the hell and he you know classic honold he's like you know he's totally competitive in a in a healthy way like uh, like he's the right sort of competitive it's awesome he wants to be he wants to be better but he doesn't want you to be worse
0: (laughs) yeah totally totally right like he's happy if you get
1: better he just wants to be better than you're better you Mm -hmm. know like that's all that matters which is cool i mean i think it's it's actually it's fun being competitive with him
0: well, and it is uniquely uh, aggravating when you've been training something in particular and someone else just kind of like onsides it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, especially to him. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's not used to that, right? And mean, uh-huh. a guy that is so not used to being, you know, the best at everything or like just <laughs> naturally really good at it. And yeah, so it was pretty funny. Like when I just did it and, and he was just like, oh, oh, okay, well... You can't be better at that than me. That you know, and so he like totally, you know, like yeah. motivated them, which is great. That's exactly, that's it, right? I mean, that's perfect and in a way. Like, you know, it he, he motivated him. <laughs> it's awesome, you know, and uh, so yeah.
0: So you, you've alluded to your height a couple times. Um, I've heard you say that you know most people think I'm five seven, and it kind of pisses me off because I'm actually not. How tall are you?
1: I'm five, three.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I'm on the shorter side in the climbing world, you know, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not like a full on outlier, I would say. I mean, I'm pretty average height to most women really. So, um,
0: you know, oh, yeah. but
1: it's like, I'm, I'm not a female, so I don't have those advantages.
0: And, That's you know, interesting. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I mean, if you start to look at some of the, you know, the research, like the, the lattice guys are doing as far as like how strong, you know, you, you, you have to be, you know, I know they're testing people, right? Like Mm -hmm. they've got all these sort of different things. It's flexibility. It's, it's overall strength. It's, you know, and they've put all this into sort of the equation and and found some averages where it says, okay, well, if you want to climb 514, the average 514 climber can hold onto this hold for this long. They can, they're, they're this flexible. They're, you know, these things. And then, you know, I, I believe, and I haven't actually read the the, all the stuff myself. I, I've looked at a little bit, but essentially, like the shorter you are, the stronger you have to be relative to your ability, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to be able to hold more weight on a max hang to be able to climb five fourteen than somebody that's taller than me.
0: Right. And just to be totally clear, um, you mean relative strength, relative to your body weight?
1: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Obviously, like I, if if I could do the same amount. As somebody that's like taller than me, you know, like, right? I mean, but that is sort of what you need to do, you know. So mm-hmm. relative to my body weight, I need to be able to do more. Well, it seems like though, then if you look at like the female sex, like for them to climb five fourteen, they don't actually have to be as strong. Hmm. And the same goes with height. So essentially, like the shorter you are, and if you're a male, you just actually have to be stronger on average. To climb five fourteen, and again, like you should fact check me on this, but I'm pretty okay. sure because I found it definitely like oh, I mean it was motivating and, and unmotivating. It's like damn it, do I actually have to be stronger? Um, uh-huh. But you can you can fix that, you know. I mean we can just get stronger. So um, I'd be curious
0: to see. Do you know if they hypothesized other factors? I mean, was it because the flexibility tended to be higher on average for women, or yeah? Do you do you know? Yeah,
1: I mean I'm not sure exactly what the sort of causation. Right. They're I mean, I think there's, there's, there, there's a correlation, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. One could assume, yeah. It's like, uh, flexibility is often not always, you know, these are such generalizations. Totally. Um, maybe their balance is better. Their movement is better. You know, things like that can make up for it. So, so I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah,
0: I'm not sure how to, we just
1: got on this track. I know, totally. That's I'll true. be so sure to find that trouble. article,
0: though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm a little bit nervous, too. Um, yeah,
1: if I'm wrong, <laughs> you're going to edit all this out, right? If I'm right, it stays in.
0: I okay, think. perfect. Um, I'll be sure to link to that yeah. article in the, in the but show But, I
1: mean, I can I can look at my girlfriend. Uh, essentially, she's, she's climbed V10 and 514, more or less a pretty similar time frame as me. I mean, mm-hmm. she climbed her five, her first five fourteen. Maybe it was six months after I did. She climbed her her first V ten the same the same season. And if we go toe to toe on a hangboard or weighted pull ups or anything like that, like I'm definitely stronger. Hmm. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it's, you, you just you, yeah. You're I'm watching her, and you know, I mean, yep. we're next to each other on the hangboard. I right? We're training at the same times often. Like, are you guys the same height? Go, like, she's a half inch taller than me. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's a super interesting comparison there. That's super interesting. No, I've
1: got a little bit more of a reach on her. Yeah. That's, I mean, just, I think I've got, maybe I've got an inch on her. I'm I'm a plus two and a half or or two ape index. So I do have that going for me for sure, but she's a little taller. Right. So, I mean, our, our reach isn't that different. And we've actually like, you know, one of the routes we did together is Mr. Yuck,
2: which Mm -hmm. was
1: a, um, you know, five fourteen at Smith rock. Right. So. I mean, there is, there was a pretty good AB sort of thing right there, you know? And I mean, I could probably do, I mean, like just look at weighted pull-ups. It's like, I don't know the percentages, but you know, she, she her three rep max is probably 35 pounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my three rep max is like 85, 90. Hmm. You know, like, okay, like same thing with weighted hangs. It's like, you know, if I go for my, you know, sort of max hang, sort of like seven seconds on, you know, two and a half minutes off sort of thing. Like, so on like a, you know, 16 millimeter edge, right? So pretty Mm -hmm. standard. I think that's a pretty standard max hang routine. You know, and I'm up there at 85 pounds, 80 pounds, and she's down there at 35 or 40.
0: That's fascinating.
1: You would think, okay, like. I you're... should be climbing much harder, right? But yeah, you're both excellent rock
0: climbers. You you both have the tactics and the skill side of it dialed. Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I'm I am stronger than her. I mean that's that part's undeniable. You know? Yeah. Right now we're almost the exact same weight. Huh. I mean, so we are like very similar, you know? Yeah. Um
0: Wow, that's yeah. so interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So huh.
0: yeah. I'm leaving this part in. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Do do the, do the research. And, I, will, and I will. I don't know. I'll fact yeah, check I for sure. I think
1: if you just again, it's sort of just yeah, looking at some of the where their averages they've found and 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 I actually think some of that research they've done is really fascinating. Starting to get some more numbers as far as like you know, what the average 514 climber, like where do they land? Right. You know, like what sort of things do they have to be good at or what sort of range of things, you know, do they have to be good at at what level to, to essentially climb that grade? Or You know, you can make up for it. Or... Yeah, I mean, obviously there's ways to to make up for it. I mean, I think Honnell did his test and essentially like he's almost like an anomaly because like given his strength, he shouldn't be able to climb as hard as he can. mm I believe he actually tested like pretty low on overall like finger strength and things like that. Like overall strength I don't think he's like incredibly high mm-hmm. relative to his ability. Um, he's it. one of those people. But then again there's like the mental component, right? That that is the equalizer, right? There is this sort of component of just like, you know, how hard you can try, uh, how much experience you have and and, and things like that or that makes it probably pretty hard to get a very accurate, you know, perfect model because it's, it's climbing, right? It's, it's, there are other factors involved besides just pure strength. Mm -hmm. That was a good, good tangent.
0: That's great. (laughs) That's fascinating. Let's jump back to your bouldering. So it does sound like you learned a lot this season. Your goal was to climb V10. I think you did at least four of them, maybe more, but I'd be curious you know, you learned a lot, but is there anything that you can kind of put into words that you learned that you'd be able to, to pass on to maybe people in a similar boat, maybe trad climbers or alpine climbers that have done a lot of adventure climbing, that sort of thing. And have never really jumped into bouldering and don't really, don't really care to, or don't haven't really thought of like what it might actually do for them as a climber.
1: Well, I mean, I think this would be obvious to most boulders, but maybe to like, you know, non boulders, it's like, You have to try really hard like one of the most basic you know sort of keys to success in bouldering is the willingness to just try hard
2: Hmm.
1: and a lot of people struggle to tap that that level of try hard Mm -hmm. you know because it's it's almost like a lot of people are pretty good at going to 90 percent try hard or or even lower and then they're just like okay that was that was as hard as i can try and they never learn how to like really go harder and i mean i think you see that a lot with like trad climbers just partially due to the hesitation to maybe be falling or it's just like you approach a climb very differently than you would like a boulder problem where like most people that say trad climb a lot would not go up to a route and expect that they're going to fall off of it 30 times Mm -hmm. but in bouldering that's like totally normal right like and to have like success like it generally speaking you have to try super super hard and i mean i know that's something that i was aware of and it's something that you know i've probably tapped into you know a handful of times you know while climbing but it's not like i'm great at it you hmm. know i i don't fall into like the adam andre category of like try hard you know where he goes a hundred percent every single time like that's it right like i am a lot more reserved but in bouldering you don't get a dog through it. Right. I mean, you have to climb the move. So generally speaking, it's like, if it's hard enough for you, you're going to have to try really, really hard. And so, I mean, I think it just helps you engage that sort of muscle as far as just being like, Oh, right. I've got to actually try hard. Cause it's funny. I mean, you go out there and you see people that aren't doing great and you're just like, Whoa, you didn't actually try that hard. You know, like <laughs> I can tell, like you just didn't try hard. Like what do you expect, you know? Um, and I, I think for me, it was just it was a good reminder to go out there and just be like, right, I got to go for it, you know. And I and I think if you watch some of the videos that I would send to James, you know, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> hey, how, how do I look, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I mean, I think I was I was trying hard, you know. Yeah. And I, I started to like look like a boulderer, not 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 that great. You know, he, he, he showed it to Nina, uh, his girlfriend, uh, Williams, you know, cause I wanted the feedback. I was just right. like, do I look like a boulder yet? <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, she was like, nah, not, you're getting there, you know? And it's true. Cause then I just watched, you know, and I was like, oh, right. Interesting. Like, I don't look, I don't look like a boulder yet. Cause I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not looking, hmm. I don't, you know, like I'm sort of like climbing where i think i should climb you know or i've got this sort of this governor that's just like oh that's as hard as you can try you know because that's where i'm used to it Mm. right that's that's the the standard and the expectation of set and it's hard then to change that right to be like no 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 like i know that's what you thought was try hard but you actually need to like engage this other part Hmm. and uh bouldering you can do that right it's like it's which is so cool about it because you can try things over and over it's you know close to the ground there's not as many sort of uh factors like when you're you know alpine climbing or something which is the realm where like you generally don't want to be pushing up towards that limit Hmm. as far as like try hard because generally speaking as you reach your upper threshold of try hard it's really hard to focus on all the other things. And in alpine climbing, you need to be aware of, like, all those other factors as far as, like, safety goes. And you don't want to be, like, falling off. You don't want to be up there, like, whipping off something 30 times. Because right. it's it's just not really safe to be doing that. So, but, it, yeah, in bouldering, you know, you, you really get to. So I think, you know, just pushing that, your own personal envelope of what you think is possible is is so cool. Like, I mean... It, hmm. And I think that's why you then, you know, it helps your sport climbing so much, right? Because you've, you sort of, you've pushed that edge out a little bit farther. So then when you're sport climbing, you can like, what used to be hard for you sort of try hard is not as hard anymore because you've elevated your overall level. So,
0: so I'm curious about that. Did, did you have a chance before COVID before this kind of whole shift to do some root climbing of any kind? And, and were you able to see or feel that kind of shift from the season of bouldering?
1: No, unfortunately it was like I kind of uh I went from I went from Boulder into like cold turkey. I went oh, like
0: damn.
1: I mean, I've not really climbed since the end of January, I guess. Hm. Like I've barely climbed since then. I I had a I had a long work gig down in in Chile for all of February just had some other circumstances i guess you know the last time i feel like i was really rock climbing it was when i saw you was up on moonlight buttress i Mm -hmm. mean that was it you know which that part that's not like i wouldn't really notice it i guess i mean we did go to the grail i think that's where we were we went to the grail and i got to do some some sport climbing and i mean it's so hard to tell because i hadn't hadn't really climbed in over a like a month, you know, it had been about five uh-huh. weeks. I've all, no training, no climbing, like very little output, so I, I couldn't really tell if, if I was benefiting at all from from any of the bouldering. But I mean, I was able to like flash a couple of things that would normally be a bit hard for me. So I was like, oh, huh, maybe, maybe the you know, I'm still seeing some byproduct. But at that point, I I, I couldn't say there was any real, you know, correlation or anything like that. So okay. Yeah, unfortunately, the way things worked out, I. I don't really know. And, you know, I was also pretty beat down from all that bouldering. Um, Hmm. I felt it in my hands. I I just felt it in my body. I was getting, I was getting achy. You know, I'm, I am getting kind of older. I'm, I'm forty now, so I would lie to say that I don't have you know sore rotator cuffs and joints and things like that i mean I, I just can't do as much as that I, I used to to well do without hurting myself, and I have to be really really careful, you know, especially mm-hmm. as I get deeper into the like the season, my volume just has to start going down i just I just can't do as much you know I just run the risk of hurting myself, which would be counterproductive so gotcha. um. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I mean, hopefully I'll, it'll sync up and I'll, and I'll be able to go bouldering at some point and then see how it more directly relates to sport climbing or, or, or track climbing or big wall free climbing for that matter. But, you know, I, I don't think all those gains are lost, you know,
0: again, we mm-hmm. just
1: dropped another, you know, sort of piece into the pyramid. You know, I'm not, that's not just going to go away.
0: Um, yeah, totally
1: i hope (laughs) i would say you know now that we're living in reno we plan on spending more time in yosemite again and and probably climbing back up on el cap a bit more and doing some free climbing up there and and often a lot of that climbing does just come down to bouldering Hmm. i mean el cap is the cruxes are boulder problems like i mean that's that's it. I mean, most granite climbing, for that matter, unless you're just talking some pure splitters. But once you get past the like five twelve grades and you get into like five thirteen and harder, it comes down to how hard you can boulder. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not endurance. It's you know generally you've already got the techniques. So um, which I mean was one of the reasons I was like, okay, cool. I should like do some more bouldering. You know, as we sort of SJ and I planned on climbing on El Cap a bit more again. I was like, I need to. I need to work on that aspect um, so so yeah so we'll see we'll see Ho- hopefully, it, hopefully it helps a little bit
0: that's it for part one I hope you enjoyed it part two will go live next week I appreciate you all much love stay safe out there we'll see you next time